the book of Revelation. A lot of people think, man, it's crazy. It's hard to understand. But realize there's 404 verses and 278 of them are right out of the Old Testament. There's 500 references in the Old Testament. So if you have studied through the whole Bible, the book of Revelation is already understood. It's now explained in the fullness. And we say in the Old Testament, it's veiled, but in the New Testament, unveiled. And in particular, the book of Revelation, the word in Greek, apocalypsis, sometimes you hear movies, apocalypse, you know, and it's like people getting murdered in Vietnam or whatever, you know. It, the word means unveiling. It's like if somebody had made a, a statue or a great painting and you, you go to the art exhibit and they're the sheet and finally they're going to show it and they pull the sheet back and they unveil the work of art. This is what we're doing here. The whole Bible, this great work of art of God, and now in the book of Revelation, the sheet is pulled back and we see the full revelation all the way to the end. You know, this is exciting when you realize that we have a completed book. In the book of Genesis, it says, in the beginning. In the book of Revelation, it makes it clear, and this is how it ends. You know, I've, you go to the doctor and you pick up a magazine. Sometimes I've done this actually a couple times. And, and they talk about how there's these asteroids that are ready to hit our planet in 15 years that will completely destroy our planet. They don't know how to get rid of them. And they're trying to figure out how to, so they don't intersect with us. Or even if they intersect our atmosphere, it could blow us off and, and cause a, our axis to be different, all this. And I'm always going, yeah, not going to happen, you know. <laughs> We know the end, and it's not an asteroid taking us all out. That's the exciting thing. We know what's coming. And this is what we're going to be discovering in the book of Revelation. But listen to this. This is, this is really interesting. There's a bunch of them, so sort of try to just hang in there for a minute. So the book of Genesis presents the beginning. The book of Revelation presents the end. The book of Genesis, the earth was created. The book of Revelation, the earth passes away. In Genesis, creation of the heavens and the earth. In Revelation, there's a new heavens and a new earth created. In Genesis, the sun was to govern the day. In Revelation, there's no sun needed. Jesus is the sun. In Genesis, the darkness was called night. In Revelation, there is no night. In Genesis, waters were called seas. In Revelation, there are no more seas. It's because in the new earth, there has to be more room for golf courses and uh, and the surfers are going to surf in the clouds. They don't need water. And Gen- along with their horses, it's going to be pretty cool. Anyway, Genesis, the waters are called, um, let's see, in Genesis, there's the sun, the moon, the stars, where the earth gov- government, but in Revelation, these heavenly bodies are the earth's judgment. Um, in Genesis, the devil showed us, is showed for the first time. In the book of Revelation, he is showed for... The last time, and never to be seen again, cast into the lake of darkness, or the lake of fire, where there's darkness forever and ever, separated us, will never hear his name or his presence again. And the uh, book of Genesis, Satan rebels, and Revelation, the rebellion is clearly ended. Um, in Genesis, Satan utters his first lie, in Revelation, 
there's nothing there, there's nothing that makes a lie enter the city. No more lies, no more liars. They're all gone. In Genesis, there's an entrance of sin. In Revelation, there is an exodus. No more sin. Boy, that'll be great, won't it? Especially from us, being our new bodies. No more sin. In Genesis, man was in the beginning in paradise lost and lost it. In Revelation, he regains paradise and keeps it for eternity. In Genesis, man lost his right to the tree of life. In Revelation, he regains that tree of life forever. We're going to be eaten on that tree of life throughout eternity. Isn't that great? In Genesis, man's rebelled against God. In Revelation, man's rebellion comes to an end. Genesis is a physical death is introduced. In Revelation, physical death will never be again. In Genesis, the beginning of the curse. In Revelation, the curse is lifted and man is never again under the curse. In Genesis, fellowship with God is severed and lost. In Revelation, fellowship with God is regained and clearly will never, ever be lost again. In Genesis, man's driven from God's face. In Revelation, men sees his face in glory forever. In Genesis was the beginning of sorrow and suffering. In Revelation, there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. In Genesis, the bride is brought to Adam. In Revelation, the bride's prepared for Christ. In Genesis was the marriage of the first Adam. In Revelation is the marriage of the last Adam, Jesus, found in 1 Corinthians 15. In Genesis, the first Adam reigns on the earth. In Revelation, the last Adam reigns in glory. In Genesis, we saw man's city, Babylon, being built. In Revelation, we see man's city, Babylon, destroyed. And God's city, the new Jerusalem, brought into view. In Genesis, believers are looking for a city. In Revelation, the holy city is presenting in glory. In Genesis, where is the lamb? Remember that in Genesis 22? And then in Revelation, the lamb is Jesus who reigns forever and ever. Pretty amazing how... And Genesis has presented these things in Revelation clearly one by one. They're explained and a final period on the, the doctrine, the reality, uh, it comes to an end. And so tonight, we want to jump in here to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to quickly look through the three verses again and then head into verse 4. The revelation of who? Jesus Christ, okay? It's not revelations of wars and pestilence and bowls of wrath. It's the revealing of Jesus. And every line, every period, every comma of the Bible speaks of Jesus. But here in the book of Revelation, hopefully we leave with that beautiful incense of Jesus. And I can't explain it, but you'll you'll see it. By the end of this book, there's a a reality of Jesus, the sweetness of Jesus that will stay with you for the rest of your life. And if you've been taught through the book of Revelation, you know what I'm talking about. And then it says this revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And we saw the word shortly is not in, it's going to happen in a few years from now. It's once it starts, it happens very, very quickly. Once we enter that last generation, all of these signs of the times happen quickly and the rapture comes. 
And so in 1948, Israel became a nation. We talked about this last week. And quickly, a number of other things have been taking place. Again, uh, they took Jerusalem, (laughs) as we know, the capital, which clearly, when you look at the end times, Israel has to be a nation. And this is why a lot of commentaries say it can't be the literal people of Israel because they haven't been a nation for 2,000 years. You know, it must be spiritual Israel. That's the church. That's us. Oh, and, and it's not really Jerusalem. It must be a new Jerusalem, wherever we worship in the world. You know, these are the kind of things they did. But yet, when those who took the revelation literally say, nope, Israel has to be a nation. So we're waiting. That's one of the signs of the time. Ah, it never happened. It happens. It is a miracle. How can a people, I mean, a people for 2,000 years lost the Hebrew language? It hasn't been spoken in probably almost that amount of time. David Ben-Gurion, when they came back into Israel, said, we're going to resurrect the Hebrew language. Never knew what it sounded like. Just a few words here and there that they spoke at synagogue and created the Hebrew language to be spoke again. Uh, It's just just mind-boggling. It's supernatural across the board. And then they have to take Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is is owned by by Jordan and and owned uh, by the Palestinians and, and owned by... Um, well, it, it depends on how you cut it up. But it was claimed by a lot of people, the Catholic Church and, and uh, the, the Jewish um, societies and so forth. And they were all at war and hated each other. And the, the idea of Israel taking it and not causing World War III was impossible. And when they took it in the Seven-Day War, and they were heading into Egypt, getting ready to take over Egypt. And, and Nixon called and said, nuh-uh, stop. And they pulled back and they were into Jordan and taken Jordan and kicked him out. And then they took Jerusalem and it's the capital now. It's, it's just, again, it seems impossible. But yet here they are today. These are all things that are clear that have to exist before the end time scenario could happen. And guys, they exist. And Jesus says, this generation shall not pass away until these things take place. And part of that is two in the field. One is taken and one is left. Two are grinding at the mill. One is taken and one is left. And it's an exciting thing to realize that we are in the time where Jesus could come back any second. And so uh, we see in Revelation there again, These things are shortly, they're quickly now going to run to place and we're going to look at these signs and realize that we are in this time and what we're to do in this time. Clear instruction. And he sinned and signified it by his angel and by his servant John, verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God. You know, when some people wrote, they didn't know necessarily if this is the, a letter to the Corinthians or whether this is the word of God. And John knew this is the word of God. This is straight from Jesus. And of course, in John's gospel, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Our God is a, a verbal God, and his word is one with him. You, you, you cannot have somebody's word separate from them. You can't say, this guy's the most honest guy in the world, but he lies a lot. It, it can't happen. This guy is the nicest guy in the world, but watch out. He'll really cuss you out with his words. It, it, it can't happen. What, 
one is in his word, he is also in his character, his nature. And so when we, we see God in his nature, what his word, it's one and the same. And so when we try to think of God, we can only think of things that are material with space and time and, and borders and so forth. But God is everywhere at once. God is eternal. God is incorporeal. He's without substance, without body. We can only think of things corporeal. We can only think of things with substance, hair, eyes, nose, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and so what God does is he describes himself what's called anthropomorphically or zoomorphically. He'll describe himself using human attributes, the ears of God or the eyes of God or the voice of God. Uh, or he'll say the wings of the Lord surround you like a chicken gathers her hens unto her or gathers her chicks unto her as a hen gathers her chicks unto her. So mm, God's a chicken. Uh, that's sort of weird. You got a chicken and pulls all the, you know, no, these, these are, these are, these are as like, they're, 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 they're descriptions to try to help us understand uh, the feelings, the heart of God. Because, you know, there's one place that says the eye of the Lord's upon you. Oh, God has one eye. He's a, you know, wow, his big eye following you around, you know. Um, these, are, these are things. And so, again, the word of God. And, and, and to just realize this is it. He is making himself known unto us. And we're going to see him on the throne. There's a lion as a lamb. And this is the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus speaking directly to us. And here John says in verse 2, all things that he saw. We're going to see some of the things he saw were very, very difficult to describe. But he didn't hold back. He, by the Holy Spirit's power, has revealed them to us. And they're not easy to understand, guys. There's some truths that are, you know, the cookies are on the bottom shelf for the baby to crawl over and knock over the cookie barrel and eat some animal cookies, right? But, but if you want the steak, you've got to be able to open the freezer and, you know, thaw it out and read the instructions or, you know, get the barbecue going and, and, and cook it up. It's, it's for the mature. It's for the adults. And so we're, we're looking at the book of Revelation. This isn't something that you can teach the kindergarten class. This is for those who are ready to, you know, Get the, get the steak out and get it, get it ready to eat. And so these are, these are tough things to understand, but they're definitely with understanding. And in verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. As I am reading, as you're reading, as you're hearing, God right now is pouring out blessings. The word blessing is, oh, how happy. <laughs> how many of you guys would like to be happier? You, you came to the right place. God's going to fill you with his strength, his joy, his power as you come and, and, and study through this book with us. And keep, this is the word vigilantly obey, to defend those things which are written in it for the time is near. So again, this is something that you learn, you hang on to and you, and you know, and it's deep in your heart. And as we go through the scriptures, we find that people who understood prophecy. Now, prophecy can be foretelling a, a powerful message, as we'll see to the seven churches telling them to repent, but it also is typically a future telling. 
And those who throughout the scriptures had a future telling were people that were raised up. Sometimes they were incredibly poor people, no people, shepherds, farmers. But once they got a word of prophecy, they were raised up to a prophet or even like Daniel to uh, the second in command to the great, to the world emperor of the world at that time of Babylon and then later of the Medes and the Persians. And uh, we, we see that there's certain times where tribes, uh, it says the tribe of Ishakar purposed to know the future of the prophecies and God raised them up as leaders over all of Israel. So to those who are willing to, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, to study the word of God, to show yourself a workman, to rightly divide the word of truth, God will honor that and he will empower you, bless you, and raise you up in a, in a unique way to speak into people's lives. And in verse 4, John, to the seven churches, which are Asia. Next week, we're going to be looking at these seven churches. And the word number seven throughout uh, is the number of completion. If you look at, for instance, music, there's seven notes in a scale. And then the eighth starts over the first note again. So it goes to through eternity and each direction uh, are seven notes. The eighth is the, the new beginning. Uh, seven days in a week. The eighth day starts the next week. This is throughout creation. And seven uh, is the number of completion. And we're going to be looking at these seven churches, which is in Asia, or today is Asia Minor, Turkey. The seven churches that were started that are in the country of Turkey today. And we're going to be looking at all that that means to us today. Grace to you and peace. The Greek word charisis for hello, which in the Greek word is power to you, man. And the, the Hebrew greeting, which is shalom, peace, wholeness, healing, completeness. You know, when we come to Christ, we're broken people. And often our marriages are broken. Our bodies, our minds are tweaked. And slowly God begins to heal us and we become a, a whole person. Our marriage becomes whole. We, our minds become whole. Our bodies become whole. And, and this is what the, the Hebrew greeting was. And here he says, yeah, power to you, but how do you get power? <laughs> from Jesus. How do you really get the peace? Not from this world. Not from its wisdom, which is not wisdom at all. But from Jesus. Grace to you. Peace from Jesus. I love this statement in Revelation. It says, who is who was, and my favorite one, who is to come. Hang in there, guys. He's coming. In Hebrews, it says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God, who is an eternal God, he is coming for us. And from the seven spirits or before the throne, we're going to be looking at that as well. Um, And verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead the ruler over all the kings of the earth. Now, again, the Jehovah Witness come knocking at your door and they try to tell you this word firstborn means the first one born. Guys, it doesn't mean that. It, it's the word preeminence, the, preom, the, the one who's prominent. Hey, for example, if you look in Genesis 48, Jacob is blessing his sons and he has Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh's the older, Ephraim's the younger. But remember the story uh, um, they, they set him up to, to pray. Joseph sets him up to pray for his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and Jacob keeps changing him. 
And, and Joseph says, stop. Put your right hand on the older son, Manasseh. Because in the Jewish culture, the first warning got everything. He got the, the seat of honor. He got the big chunk of inheritance. The second, third, fourth son, they, they got squat. The firstborn was everything. And, and so he's like, no, no, no. Put that right hand and that blessing on Manasseh. And Jacob said, no, no, no. And he says, Manasseh is the firstborn. And he said, Manasseh is going to be a great people, but Ephraim is the one that's going to be the prominent one. And then we come to Jeremiah 31, 9, and God says, for Ephraim is my firstborn. Well, no, Manasseh was the firstborn, but in prominence, in preeminence. And so you come to a verse in Colossians 1, 15, and it says, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. But then if you look at the next two verses, it says that through him all things are created. Nothing's been created. It wasn't created through Jesus. He's before all things. And in him all things consist, hold together. Science can't tell us today why the atom holds together. There's no reason that every atom shouldn't just split and all matter is, is not matter. There's no reason why I shouldn't just put my hand right to this pulpit here. We don't know why. It's hard rather than not. But we know (laughs) Jesus is the glue. He's holding all things together. Without God, there would be no matter. There would be no substance. There would be nothing solid, spiritually as well as physically. And then he says in Colossians 1.18, he says there, and he is the head of the body of the church who's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. Now, let me just ask you, Is Jesus the first one that was raised from the dead? No. We have people in the Old Testament that were raised from the dead. Remember the story of Elijah when he lays on the servant, he raises a boy, and then Jesus raised people from the dead. Remember the boy of Nain and Lazarus? Jesus wasn't the first one raised from the dead. Who was the most important person ever raised from the dead? (laughs) Yeah. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we're all in our sins. There is no gospel. There is no hope. Let's go eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. Jesus is the preeminent one. That's the word. But if we were to, as a matter of fact, if you had a, 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 modern transla- a modern translation that's not trying to be a literal translation, it'll probably say that. Jesus is the preeminent one from the dead. Jesus is the most important one from the dead. And this is what this is saying, guys. That Jesus is the preeminent one from the dead. He's the ruler over all the kings of the earth. There's nothing that's not in his control. Either he has directly raised them up or he has allowed them to be raised up. Our forefathers said it. That God will give us a leader we deserve. Benjamin Franklin, for a short time, he walked with the Lord. He said this, seeing that countries don't get to live for eternity, it's preeminent upon God to bless every generation or curse every generation according to its, the way it's lived. Since the, the children don't, aren't punished for their sins of their fathers, so in other words, we're, we're living right now, our generation is just 70 years when we're born and we die, let's say, and then the next 70 years are cursed after we die. That wouldn't be right, you see. So it's incumbent upon God to right now balance the equation of our righteousness or unrighteousness and give us economies, 
pestilence or no pestilence, blessings are leaders according to what we deserve. And often God will give us leaders, as he says in Isaiah, to, to punish you. I'm going to give you people that are weak. And, and then he also, you know, the leader is a, is a person of character. Character comes from Christ. And if a person doesn't have a Christian, uh, Judeo-Christian ethic that they're working from, then what, what ethic are they working from? And if there isn't an ethic they're working from, then the sky's the limit. You, you may get one guy one day and a different guy the next day. You may get one guy working from one set of principles this year and a completely different principles the next year. And, and you've you got Jekyll and Hyde. You've you got you know, Abraham Lincoln and, and Hitler. Anything's possible. And this is why our forefathers made it clear that you need to know the character and whether the guy's a Christian or not. Our forefathers said that. They're rewriting history saying, oh, our forefathers weren't Christians. They're a bunch of deists and all this. It's ridiculous, guys. There's a great ministry called The Wall Builders by David Barton. And he has gone through and, and just explained it. And he has videos. And, and it's all the quotes of our early church fathers, our early forefathers of our country. And uh, these are the kind of things they, they, they said and they said plainly. And so we are today, I believe, um, we have weak leadership across the board at every level. And we have people that are, I think, maybe smart people, but are being blinded by God in a lot of ways to keep us to the place till we repent. Second Chronicles 7.14, if God's people will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, God says, and I will heal their land. It's, it's not... Sinners being less sinners. It's not getting better leaders, guys. Moses was the most humble, awesome leader, and the people were horribly wicked under him, making idols and wanting to kill him and rebelling against him. It, you know, if we had Moses as our president, it's, it's, we, we have, the people have to change before things can move forward. And the way our system's set up, you have to have uh, the whole congressional body, uh, you know, as well as the judicial body, uh, working, not just the, you have to have the legislative, the judicial, and the executive branch working together. You, you don't have anything goes forward. So even if you had a genius, he can't take one step forward until everybody takes that step forward. And we've been stuck for not four years. <laughs> we've been stuck for a lot longer than that. We all know it. And that stuckness is causing us to keep going backwards and backwards. And the answer is God's people humbling themselves and praying. Come to the prayer meetings, guys. And as we pray in the presence of God, we're going to see that we're not spiritually where we need to be. We need to repent. And we repent and we cry out to God. We're going to have a healing of the land. We need to vote, but you know what? I, I don't have a lot of hope. You know, we, we've got a choice between dumb and dumber. You know, um, so God help us. God help us. And so we come back. Jesus is the ruler over all the kings of the earth. And um, I think he's given us what we deserve, unfortunately. And then I love this second part of verse 5 and 6. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in what? His blood. In 1 John 2, little children, I write these things to you. Don't sin. But if we do sin, 
We have an advocate from the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' blood was taken and spilt upon the mercy seat in heaven. And there our sins have been forgiven and the blood of Christ has cleansed us and is continuing to cleanse us from all sin. So when we sin, we can come boldly into the throne of grace and say, God, I have sinned and there his blood is there to wash us and to continue to wash us. And we discover not just to make us not horrible sinners. What has he washed us for? Look at verse 10, six, verse 10. Verse six, um, he has made us kings and priests to who? His God and Father, to him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Jesus has made us his brother and he has made us equal to himself in righteousness and he has made us fellow kings and fellow priests with him. Jesus is a priest, it says in Hebrews, according to the order of Melchizedek, forever and ever. And we are now a part of that priesthood. In 1 Peter 2, it says in verse 9 that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We're not just a common order of priests. We are the royal priesthood. Jesus has made us priests along with him. We are a holy nation, his own special people. What was the priest to do? We are now all priests. Martin Luther, who brought us out of the dark ages into the Reformation period, there in Wittenberg, Germany, he nailed on the door 99 theses. And one of those was the priesthood of all believers. And of course, the Catholic Church that dominated at that time set out to kill him ever since that time. Because the priest is one who goes to God on behalf of the people and goes to the people on behalf of God. But we as Christians do not need to go through anyone. God has made it that we all come straight into his throne room. We come straight to Jesus. I don't want to bother Jesus. He's so I'll just talk to his mom. She'll take care of it, you know. I'll just talk to one of those apostles, and they'll, you know, when they're having coffee and not too busy, they'll, they'll, they'll put a good word in for me. Guys, it's idolatry to pray to anybody but Jesus. Absolute offensive to God. It tells us that he has tore down everything that would hinder us from coming directly to him. And we can come directly to him. We are not some peon. We are his kings, his representatives on this earth, his ambassadors, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5. We are his priesthood. We're not going uh, be for you. And I, if people come up, Brian, I need you to pray for me. You know what? You're wrong. <laughs> My prayers are no better than your prayers. Now, if you went to my wife, that would have been a smart thing. But the fact is, is you need to understand right now that Satan is minimizing you. You're letting your mind minimize you. But you are a powerful entity before Christ. You are his kings. You are his priests. And we can go and pray for our neighbors, pray for our relatives, pray for our lost world. And let me tell you, when we go and come to Jesus on behalf of the world, to Christ, and go to Christ behalf the, to the world, this is what we are made for. This is what we've been washed and cleansed for with his blood, that we would be those very representatives of Jesus to man. 
And in verse 7, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Woo, he's coming back, guys. We're going to study and he's going to come and we're all coming with him on horses and we're ascending out of the heaven after our seven years marriage supper of the Lamb having our wedding feast and we come together and he lands on the Mount of Olives. The earth splits open from the Dead Sea to the Mediterranean Sea. There's a river and it's flowing right from Jerusalem where the Holy of Holies dwelt and there the trees begin to grow which are the healing for the nations for the thousand year millennial reign. Jesus goes right to Armageddon to the the valley of Jezreel, and he fights all the kingdoms of the world. When they are fighting one another and against the Antichrist, they stop. They all focus on Jesus. Jesus takes out his sword and he slays them all. The blood rises all the way up to the bridle of a horse in that giant fertile valley. But they have such a hatred towards them. He wipes them out, and those who didn't take the mark of the beast and those who received him that tribulation period will now spend a thousand years living, listening to Jesus teach Bible studies, all of us rule as kings and priests throughout the earth on behalf of Christ in our new bodies, cruising around on our horses, flying through the air, pretty cool. And uh, the earth begins to get populated, a person 100 years old is like a child, and they're going to be able to spend a 1,000 years learning from Christ. You know it's radical. At the end of that 1,000 years, Satan is released. And he gets to go to all these people who populated the earth. Some of them were a part of the tribulation. And say to them, how many of you guys are sick of Jesus? How many of you guys are sick of all these guys making everybody live righteously? It tells us that in Psalms 2 that if anybody even begins to do something wicked, that Jesus will jump on it and he'll take uh, the rod, which is like an iron thing, and pop them like you would pop a clay pot. wickedness can't even exist for a day, even a second on the earth. But he'll say to the people, just like he did Adam and Eve, this is, this is oppressive. And you know what happens? After a thousand years, some people, hundreds of years, of learning from Jesus, right from Jesus, there's going to be a highway system built wherever you're on the earth. You can go right to Jerusalem immediately and sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him. That why this is going on, He's going to come and a huge population, maybe even a majority of the people, are going to side with Satan. Isn't that credible? You know, it speaks to us that us being Christians is a miracle. <laughs> but there's going to be a time right now where, where the world's against us. It's the pressure is greater than us. Satan's against us. Our own sinful bodies are against us. And every single day with this amazing odds against us, we humble ourselves and say, I want you, Jesus, more than anything. I don't care the cost. I don't care how much they hate us. I don't care the pressure of Satan. I don't care what my body's screaming. I'm following you, Lord. And we're, we're not doing it perfectly, are we? But we fall seven times. The righteous man falls seven times. And he gets up seven times. We keep coming to that throne of grace and we keep plodding away and God's grace is sufficient to help us in all our needs and one day we're going to be face to face. But here's a people who are directly with Jesus for 800 years, let's say, and Satan shows up and they're like, I'm sick of that, Jesus. And then he creates a big war and we have the final battle against Satan and all those who choose against Christ. There's one final battle. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, God, before he destroys everything, Heaven's the earth with it, melts it all away. We get one more 
chance to beat up on the devil. Isn't that great? We all get to, you know, give him a good solid punch. And then uh, he goes back into the lake of fire forever. And then there's a new heavens and a new earth. And so he's coming with the clouds, and so are we. And every eye will see him as lightning goes from the east to the west. All the earth shall see him. Even those who pierced him, so the Jewish uh, nation, the Romans maybe, or all mankind with their sins pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth. This is an interesting point, how things are going to change. Boundaries of the earth are changing. Uh, Borders are going to change. Uh, Satan's going to change. The Antichrist is going to change uh, uh, seasons and times, the way the months are and stuff. And you, you see again things, you know, here we are in September, it's more like August. And, and, and again, um, you see, you know, no more Christmas holiday, but winter holiday, no more Easter break, but spring break. It's already happening. Satan wants to take everything away that points to Jesus. And this is going to be changing uh, through the Antichrist, but all these people are going to be broken down into tribes. And so, you know, all the Mexicans that are here in California, you know, they're finally going to get their, their wish, and California will be a part of the Mexican tribe. And uh, it's already happened. It's already happened. But not that that's of the Antichrist at all. Forgive me. I did not for that. Anyway, <laughs> so all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And finally, the verse here tonight, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. God is Almighty. And He is over all things. There's nothing happening to you right now that God is in control of. I want to end with these verses here tonight. In 1 Corinthians 11.31, it says this, If we would judge ourselves... We would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we might not be condemned with the world. There's some of you right now that God's going to bring us as we head into the seven churches to a place of brokenness and repentance. And as we head into that place, we're sensing the holiness of God. We're sensing the purity of Jesus. And we're sensing that we're not there. He's saying, here's the narrow road that leads to life. Here's the broad road that leads to discussion. And you're over here. You know, I always picture that road through Arizona, you know, the highway. And, and if you ever get off the middle, they have those things on the thing, you know. And then, of course, you go off a little more, you're on the sand. You know, I've fallen asleep a couple times. So anyway, you're spinning out, and, and it's like, ah, get back over here. It's nice, smooth asphalt. You're just cruising on, you know. And there's some of you over there. There's some of you over in the sand hitting a cactus. And, you know, you need to wake up. And you need to judge yourself accurately tonight. You're not where you need to be spiritually. And in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says this. Examine yourself as to whether you're in the faith. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you're disqualified? Is that the case with some of you tonight? You're not where you should be spiritually. You know it. And you're at the place where you're wandering so far away from God that your heart's beginning to get hardened by sin. One more verse in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but what? One receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for prizes is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain perishable crown, but we, an imperishable crown. We're going to talk about that. 
imperishable crowns forever and ever. And in verse 26, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Verse 27, this is Paul, the apostle, talking. But I discipline my body, bring it into subjection or submission to Christ, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Apostle Paul realized his own sinful flesh could bring him to the place to be disqualified. And he saw that with some apostles. Demas, who once was his fellow companion, it says he forsook him because he loved this present world. Let's bow in prayer right now. Lord, we know tonight you brought us here to begin to understand the beautiful revelation of you and we already sense your spirit of blessing upon us. And we know that as we work hard and and take it through these verses that you are going to continue to speak deeper and deeper into our hearts and our lives. But we just stop right now as we head into this journey that there are some here tonight who know that they've come here and, and their hearts condemn them because your spirit is convicting them of where they're at and where they need to be. And there's some of you here tonight that God's brought that don't know Christ and we've talked about. He loves you. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. He rose again to conquer your sin. And the Bible says, receive him and he will give you the right to become children of God. Confess your sin. He's faith and right to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if that's you here tonight, you need to rededicate your life to the Lord as a Christian to get back on that narrow road that leads to life. The broad driving doesn't work anymore. You've hit too many cactus. You've spun out too many times. You've almost been killed too many times. And God lovingly, as a shepherd, drawing his sheep into the green pastures is saying, get out of the, the, the place where it's by the cliff and where all those poisonous plants are. Get back over to the green grass. Listen to his voice. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Come unto me. I will open, open that door and I will come in and be your God, be your Savior, and I'll sup with you and you with me. If you're a non-believer here tonight and you want to be a believer, God's ready to write your name in the book of life and it says, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Right now, just come. In your heart right now, just say, God, I come to you. Forgive me, Lord. Through your blood, forgive me. I submit myself to you from this day forward. If you believe that in your heart, the Bible says that God will save you. You believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, and God has raised him from the dead. You are saved. He's rich to all who call upon his name. Let his riches pour upon you right now of forgiveness and mercy and love and eternal life. We have uh, gone way past time here, so if you've prayed that prayer tonight afterwards, I encourage you to come up. We're going to have some of the leaders be up here and their wives, and just to encourage you to lay hands on you, to ask God's blessing on you, to pray for you, to get you a Bible if you need, to tell you about the Christian Foundation class, but come. And Lord, we thank you for washing us all in the water of your word this evening. We just sense the love, sense the power, sense the, the work of your spirit, and let us leave here tonight and just have great joy and gladness in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said...
Amen, amen. God bless you. Again, if you need prayer for anything else, come forward. Have a wonderful evening in Jesus. Bye-bye.